We've been in a message series on David. I wish I had really started earlier because I'm going to bump up right into Easter. Um, as I've been studying this, I've uh, been studying, I listen to other pastors and how, how do they preach out of passages and kinds of pastors. They, they've done like 20-part series on the life of David, and I understand why. There's no one else in the Bible where uh, Scripture talks more about any one person um, than David. Uh, so before we dive in today, uh, let's, let's pray, because I need it. I don't know about you. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this morning. Lord, we lost an hour, hour of sleep, uh, so that was kind of a bummer. Um, but we get to enjoy your daylight in the evening uh, for us the next several months, so we, we praise you for that. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the time of worship that we have had uh, today. Father, even in, the, even in how we're doing worship, short on, short on musicians and just uh, relying on, on a few, Lord, we, we are reminded that we can, we can praise you with many, many instruments, or we can praise you with, in, in our case, uh, none here on the platform, and uh, the praise is praise regardless you are someone who is worthy of our praise, as I read in Psalm 100. You, you are someone who is worthy of our, literally, of our shouts of praise, of singing joyful songs to you. You are someone, because of the salvation you offer to us, we know through Christ Jesus that you are worthy of our praise. So we, we thank you for the privilege of what we just did in singing praises to you. But, Father, there's many various acts of worship. One of them is faithfully studying your word, trying to figure out and better understand who you are and this message in your, in your scripture about how you interact with your people. So, Father, open up our hearts, open up our minds to hear you. And, and may my feeble attempt to, to teach be something that would ultimately bring glory to you and edify and build up the body of Christ. It's in your precious holy name we pray. Amen. So has this been interesting, going through the life of David? Been okay? I get a little nod. Something, okay, yeah. Uh, th there's, there's too much for me to talk about. Um, and... Uh, well, I, I, I'm getting to the point where I, it's, I can't even recap all the previous weeks because there's just so much that happens. Uh, so I've never been one to title sermons, but if I was, if I was a person that actually thought to title my sermons, I'm not that creative though. The title of today's sermon would be something like Four Steps Forward, Four Steps Back. Uh, so we're going to cover a lot of scripture in a very small amount of time, um, which surprise, surprise, I, I do that sometimes, don't I? Um, you can cover a lot of scripture if you preach for almost an hour. Uh, so, uh, we're going to look at the life of David. He, he has a couple of really amazing successes and a few really embarrassing things. Uh, so, we're going to start in Psalm, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. So, th th this would be like two steps forward. So, you know, the phrase is like two steps forward, one step back. Well, David does a, a couple steps forward. He has a few spiritual successes things that are good. Remember, through this whole series in David, God says, David is a man after my own heart. But then nowhere in the Bible, I've said this every week, nowhere in the Bible does God ever bother to define what it is to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. So, so when you have this situation where clearly God says, David is a man after his own heart, but there's no definition of what that is, it means you and I have to study. We've got to dive in. We can't be lazy Christians. We've got to figure out, okay, well, what does it mean to be a man or woman after God's own heart? So like I said, there's a few things we can say, ah, that's probably one characteristic of what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Over there, committing adultery and murder, probably not. And so we'll look through. So here's an aspect. If you're someone who takes notes, a man or a woman after God's own heart is quick to show mercy and forgiveness. So in my Bible, the title of chapter 24 that the translators have added in, it says, David spares Saul's life. I wish I had time to read all this. I, I really don't. So we're going to have to uh, pick through. So Saul is, is pursuing David over and over and over and pursuing him, by the way, because he plans to kill him. 
Um, no doubt about it. He wants to kill him. But look with me at chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. Verse, uh, let's, let's see, let's go into, um, well, we'll just go into Psalm, or uh, keep saying Psalm, verse 4. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Uh, David's men said that to him. What, what are they talking about there? Well, this is a great example of how the Bible uh, there's all sorts of different genres in the Bible, but a lot of the Bible is actually dealing with history. And sometimes history is just like too funny to even make up. So King Saul is pursuing David and wants to kill him. And they're traveling. And even when you're an evil king traveling in ancient times, you still have to use the bathroom. So King Saul goes into a cave to use the bathroom. Well, it just so happens that... Crazy enough, he picks the one dark cave to enter where David and his men are hiding out. It must have been a very big cave. I don't know, because David has a lot of men with him. Somehow, you know, you walk into from bright light to dark. You can't really see much. I guess the men were really silent. So, awkward passage that's in the Bible. King Saul is going to the bathroom, and David takes this opportunity not to kill Saul, but to cut off part of his robe. Um, anyway, so if the children are here, they would have been, they would, they would love that story. Could have preached that to them. So anyway, so, so David's men say, go ahead. You are literally probably feet at one point, clearly inches away. He's able to cut off Saul's robe. He could have instantly killed the evil, crazy man who's been trying to kill him. And David doesn't do that. He, he does something similar to what we'll see in a, in a couple more chapters, he, but he just cuts off a piece of the robe but strangely enough, he even he starts to get self-conscious about that. Uh, so look with me at um, the last part of verse 4. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, notice this. This is odd. I did not think, to be honest, let me just confess, I don't think I would be conscience-stricken about this. I'm not as holy as David was, apparently. David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him. And I'm thinking, you didn't lift your hand against him, you just cut off a bit of his robe. But I guess he, he had such, such a, a respect for the idea that the king of Israel was the Lord's anointed, that he starts to feel convicted for even doing this disrespectful thing to King Saul. Um, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men. In the Hebrew, by the way, it's interestingly, the word rebuked is actually tore them apart. It's like, it's like they actually got into a fight, so rebuked his men is not strong enough. So they're, they're on the run too, remember. They're on the run because their boss, their leader, David, is on the run. So they would really like Saul to die so that they don't have to be on the run anymore either. Uh, so they apparently get into a little argument about this, and it says, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went on his way. And, and then David goes out and tells Saul, said, hey, Saul, look at this piece of cloth. Look at your hem of your robe. You see what happened? I could have just killed you. And Saul, as happens several times throughout this pursuing story of David, Saul has a momentary time of repentance. Unfortunately for Saul, it doesn't seem to really stick. He, I don't even know if repentance would be the, the right word because he never truly changes. But so he says, I'm sorry, David. I, I played the fool. I've, I shouldn't be pursuing you. And, and he leaves. But David is wise, and he knows, okay, well, Saul has really shown that he's really kind of a crazy guy. So Saul has apologized to me, but I'm not just going to go walk back into, into Jerusalem. So he stays out of Saul's hands and st keeps a safe distance away, and wisely so, because soon enough, Saul once again starts pursuing him, changes his mind, and once again, he tries to kill Saul. So, so this would be a, a two steps forward, right? Okay, so a man or a woman or, uh, after God's own heart is someone who shows such forgiveness and mercy that if someone is trying to kill them, they don't take the chance. You know, they don't, they don't take the shot, so to speak. They are so filled with mercy and forgiveness. 
and understand God's timing and God's plan that they say, well, yes, I have an opportunity to kill the very one who's trying to kill me, and I won't do it. So that's two steps forward for David. So let's go on to chapter 25. So David has been traveling, and remember, he's got his, his what later is described as his mighty men. By this time, I think we're up to 600 men plus women and children, lots of people. When you got that many people traveling in the wilderness, and the wilderness in Israel was really desert. There's not a lot of food, a lot of, not a lot of vegetation, plants, animals. So that, that's kind of stressful when you're trying to feed that many people and there's not a lot of food around. So uh, look with me at chapter 25, verse uh, 2, or last part of verse 1. Then David moved down into the desert of Maon. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and 3,000 sheep. Now, in ancient times, that's a lot. It wouldn't be that much today, but back then, that's a lot. Which he was shearing in Carmel. Carmel is an area, so if you remember the story of Elijah, the prophet Elijah, Mount Carmel, so that's an area. Uh, His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, the Calebite, was, my translation says, surly. That's a word we don't use. Anyone use the other translation other than the NIV? Your Bible say anything other than surly? You're asleep. You don't don't know. (laughs) Well, mine says surly and mean in his dealing. So this amazing contrast. So Abigail, Abigail is intelligent, beautiful, uh, and her husband basically is a jerk. Not a nice guy. Verse 4, while David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health unto your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. So let me pause here. So... Nabal, a very rich man, he has hired under shepherds to take care of his flock. And and they travel around. If you've seen pictures of Israel, Holy Land, and Bedouins, they're always on the move because there's not a lot of grass. So the very little vegetation that is there, the the shepherds always have to travel to find it. Well, for part of the time, the shepherds of Nabal protecting Nabal's flock were apparently in very, very close proximity to David's men, about 600 of his men, plus all the women and children, remember, who were on the run for their lives from a king who was trying to pursue them, living in the wilderness where there's not a lot of vegetation or any type of livestock where they could eat. So they're hungry, and there's a lot of them. And apparently, for a very, very long time, they were very close. Remember, these are mighty men, warriors, warriors who got plenty of armor, gear. They can easily kill a few sheep and goats and feed their families with it. And apparently, at no time, David made certain that his men kept their integrity and didn't steal from this flock. And so he's just sharing this. By the way, we wouldn't get this today. What David is doing is just going up to someone and saying, hey, I really, uh, I really helped you out. I, my men didn't steal from you. Can you, can you feed me? Now, we, our culture is very different, but hospitality was an essential part of ancient Jewish culture and still in, that, in the Near East today. So it's weird to us for someone to just walk up to us and say, hey, man, I, uh, I've been watching out for your house every day, making sure robbers didn't come in there and take anything. Can I have 20 bucks? It doesn't work. It doesn't translate quite today. But that's what he's doing back then, and it's not an awkward or disrespectful thing. He's just asking for some, some help. Um, let's see, verse, uh, verse 8, ask your own servants and they will tell you, therefore be favorable toward my young men since we come at a festive time. It was a, a feast time. Give your servants and your son David whatever you can find them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? By the way, this is not an actual question. This is rhetorical. This is an example of where it doesn't translate well. All of Israel knew who David was. 
They were literally singing songs about David. He was a celebrity. So this is actually an insult. And when David's men go back and recount Nabal's words um, to David, and when Nabal's servants recount the Nabal's words to his wife, they say he insulted them. So this is a rhetorical question. He knows who David is, but he's, he's insulting them. Um, who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put, uh, put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. Now, I don't know if you figure this out, but uh, when you're putting on your sword, you're not just going to talk. Okay, so this is an example of two steps back. So I don't really understand quite what happens. Apparently, David was so insulted. So he takes two steps forward, right? He has a spiritual victory. He is literally, he could probably just reach out and stab the man who has been pursuing him, trying to kill him, and he resists the, the temptation, the sinful urge to just murder him. And, and, and then he goes to another guy and says, hey, man, can you give us some food? And the guy insults him, and he armors up to go kill him, and apparently kill everyone with him. So this is a big two steps back, right? So I don't, I don't understand what's totally happening here. Why David, he's got this spiritual strength where he can resist killing Saul, the one who had been trying to kill him for so long and took away everything, all the, the crutches, remember, that he was leaning on. And Nabal, this man who has never tried to kill him, never tried to do anything bad to him. He's just kind of a jerk, to be honest. He just is greedy and kind of insults David. And David, in this moment of weakness, is about to go kill Nabal and apparently, presumably, everyone with him. But I love this story because it reminds us that this is what we are like, right? Anyone have a, have a big spiritual success? And you kind of think, man, that, I, was, I was awesome. Man, I, the Holy Spirit gave me the right words. Or, man, that person was so mean to me. And, man, I'm, I'm getting pretty sanctified. I just held my tongue. Right? And then the next day, you just lash out at someone so mean and hateful. And you think, what, what just happened? Right? I, am I the only one? Oh, okay. Yeah. I can, I can be so reserved and I can just bite my tongue and, and not respond to all the crazy things that get thrown my way. See, as a pastor, I make a lot of mistakes and it, it doesn't usually get told to me, you know, Sunday morning, but people let me know about my mistakes. And sometimes they're not very nice and I can just be, oh, I can be so careful and measured in my words and then I just go home and snap at Kelly for the stupidest of things. I think, what, what is happening? How is it that I can be so careful in this situation and not here? How is it that I can have such spiritual victory over here? And then in this area, something that seems like I should have had even more victory, I have fallen. But that's just what it's like, right? I mean, that's, I don't know why. That's just the way it is sometimes, right? That you can be going along and, man, you're, you're doing awesome. You and the Lord, you're tight. You know, you're... Walking so close, and then, bam, just the weirdest thing. The, the, the sin, maybe a sin that you haven't been tempted for for years, all of a sudden you just commit, and you think, where did that even come from? But see, I love reading stories in the Scripture about people like David, because I am reminded, this is the point, by the way, of reading about the people of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament the whole point about reading about people's sin in the Bible, one of the points, is to remind us that we are they. They are us. So how, how can the Israelites who have, who have crossed the Red Sea, who have seen all, God do all these miraculous plagues, how could they so quickly moan and complain about God? How could they do that? We do that. 
How could, how could Peter, who has seen all these amazing, miraculous things that Jesus has done and says, you are the Son of, son of God, how could he deny Jesus three times? We, we do that. We, we do that all the time. So I think maybe that's one reason that God allowed this story to be in there, just to remind us, say, hey, you're kicking yourself sometimes for the silly sins that you all of a sudden committed. David was like that. But praise God, God allowed someone to interrupt David's path. So I, I pray that we would have more opportunities to stand in the way of someone's sin and prevent them from doing what David planned to do. So we'll learn about Abigail. So, so the first one was two steps forward, right? He resisted the urge to kill Saul. It was really going to be like 20 steps back. He was probably going to go murder all of Nabal's family. But Abigail stopped him. So look with me to verse 14. One of the servants told Nabal, Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. See, so those questions Nabal was asking doesn't really translate well into, into English. He's not really asking who David was. He knew who David was. He was insulting him. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us, saying they, they like, protected us. So shepherds and their flocks were constantly in danger of, you know, in the pioneer days here, cowboy days, you know, cattle hustlers or cattle is it rustlers, is that the term? So shepherds out there, they were constantly, what's the term? Is it rustlers, Wade? Rustlers, thank you. Wade used to, he used to do bull riding, so he, I figured he would know. Clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, so shepherds were constantly, they were in danger of having their flocks stolen, or, or, or maybe in the term of, or the case of David, remember he shares that he had to protect his flock from a, a bear and a lion. But there's always bandits out there. So, so these men actually protect Nabal's flock and Nabal's shepherds from other bandits who could have come in and stolen the flock. They're like a wall around us. Verse 17, now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Notice the servants know he's wicked. They don't even come to Nabal. They come to his wife because they know he, that Nabal is not someone that you can even bring the truth to because he just won't hear it. Anyone worked for someone like that before? Amen? Anyone? Testimony? Okay. 18. Abigail lost no time. She took two, this is crazy, 200 loaves of bread. Remember, they don't have ovens back then. Everything has to be, the, the wheat has to be crushed into flour, and then the, the stoves have to be stoked, and then you make it. So this is amazing. It's like ancient catering happening here. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, Five sias, that's a measurement, of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. So she's like loaded with food. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. So she sends her servants who can ride faster, presumably. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met, him, met them. David had just said, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Notice God, or David's words here. May God deal with David be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. So it sounds spiritual because he invokes the name of God, but he is taking, remember Scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So in typical children of God fashion, we can disguise our sin with religious language to make it sound better. So that's what David, so David has invoked the name of the Lord, but he is taking vengeance into his own hands. His prayer, his words should have been, may God deal with Nabal. May God deal with Nabal. 
But no, David says, I'm going to deal with Nabal. Vengeance is David's, says David. So it's like a spiritual two steps back. Vengeance is David's in this case. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Notice how many times she's calling herself servant. She's humbling herself before David. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is fool, and folly goes with him. His name in Hebrew actually meant fool or foolish one. Man, if I, would, if I was translating this, I would have said, like, you know, his, his name is fool, and, or folly is his name, and fool is his name, and folly is his game. That's, every, that's what I think of here. But she's, she's playing, it's a play on words here. His name is fool, and folly is with him. So she's saying, he's a fool, and he's foolish. That's essentially how she's describing it. Uh, folly is with him. But as for me, your servant, she's humbled herself again, said, I'm your servant. I did not see the man my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master. She's showing her faith that God will do what he has promised in David, anointing David as king, because he fights the Lord's battles. Interesting there. He fights the Lord's battles. So, is about to go kill Nabal and all the men in Nabal's household. Is that fighting the Lord's battle? No. So, she's, she's speaking the truth that should be into David's life. Reminds me of the Apostle Paul in a lot of his epistles. He, he addresses these churches very often, church in Corinth, for example, who are not acting saintly. They're having sex with temple prostitutes. They're doing all sorts of terrible stuff, but he addresses them as saints, though they don't act saintly. So he's, he speaks truth into their lives, describing them as how they should be. So that's what she's doing here. So David is not on his way to fight one of the Lord's battles, but, but she says, you, you fight the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life. The life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. So, here's the thing. We need to be more like Abigail. (laughs) Do you realize we have the power in our words, if we allow God to use us, to help prevent people from sinning? You see what Abigail has done? David is on a trajectory, on a path, in this case, a literal path, towards sin. And Abigail, in her wisdom from the Lord, and in her humility and quick quick thinking, it says she uh, lost no time, said verse 18. She literally stands in the path of David's sin and prevents him from doing a terrible, wicked sin. I think we ought to be more like Abigail. Amen? But you know what that requires? Well, in the case of Abigail, it cost. It literally cost something. That food, all that food that we rattled off when I was reading, that cost money. That cost time. She lost time to travel there. It cost her pride. She gets on her face before him. She keeps calling herself servant. It costs her her pride. She humbles herself to... To, for the people of God to stand in the way of others' sin and try to prevent them from committing sin will cost us. So the reason so often so many of us, and like me, we don't act like Abigail is because it costs too much. Amen? I, I, I could say something to this person, but 
I'll just keep quiet. I, I could do this. I, I could address this issue. I, I, I think I see sin in this person's life. I think, I think they're going down this path, but uh, I don't want to get involved. <laughs> I mean, if, if Abigail hadn't gotten involved, there's no telling how many people David would have killed here. And so because of her actions, David is prevented from sinning. So it was, it was not really the two steps backwards, maybe like a half step back because of what she did. And then David goes two steps forward again. So First uh, Samuel 26, once again, David has another opportunity to kill Saul, and he doesn't take it. Look with me at verse 11. He sneaks down into Saul's camp. The men are all sleeping. Verse 11, but the Lord, this is David, the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now, he says this to his, his servant with him, now get the spear and water jug that are near his head, that is Saul's head, and let's go. So he's, he and his servant have walked down into King Saul's camp. Once again, King Saul, he, he's backslidden from his repentance. He's once again trying to pursue Saul, he, or David. David has another chance to kill the one who is trying to kill him. He sneaks into the camp, takes a spear and a water jug, and then leaves. And then when he's a safe enough distance away, he yells out to the camp. All the camp wakes up, and he says to Saul, Hey, Saul, notice your spear and your water jug. It's not here. I could have killed you again, and I didn't. So remember, someone who is a man or woman after God's own heart doesn't seek vengeance when you have the chance. So that's, that's two steps forward, right? That's really, really good. Like, so one more time where he could have committed murder and he didn't. But then he takes like two, four, ten steps backwards. Look with me at chapter 27. Verse 1. But David thought to himself. That's interesting. Remember I shared last week about how we we, we talk to all the wrong people about our problems. We can vent to someone else for an hour about our problems, but we can't talk to God five minutes about our problem. David thought to himself. The Hebrew there, to himself, is actually to his heart. The, the, the phrase in Hebrew is, David said to his heart. But in English, we translate it, he thought to himself. He's speaking to him, his heart rather than letting God speak to his heart or Speaking to God, he's talking to himself. It's, it's scary how our self-talk can lead us into sin. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed from the hand of Saul. What was God's promise to David? You're going to be king, David. You're going to be king. So David's self-talk to himself has caused him to believe a lie. God said, David, you're going to be king. And David has so talked himself into a lie, he now believes the very promise God promised him was not going to happen. So be careful about what your self-talk is. You know how you adjust and work on your self-talk? Well, you surround yourself with other Christians as iron sharpens iron. You spur one another on to good deeds, as it talks about in Hebrews but also you allow God to talk to you through prayer and reading His Word. But he takes a step backwards because a promise that God gave him, he no longer believes, and now he believes Saul is going to destroy him. The best thing I can do, there's the I, the self-talk causes you to think about yourself rather than God, and what you can do rather than what God can do. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. He's going back to the Philistine country again, the enemies of God, pagan people who do not worship God. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David leaves. He goes to the king of Gath. Remember, Goliath was from Gath. Another step backwards. God made it very clear. Do not live among pagan people. Do not live in their lands. They will sway you with their sin. Do not surround yourself with them. 
Certainly do not go into Philistine territory, to the city of Gath where Goliath is from. So he takes another step backwards. See, the first step backwards was the, the sinful self-talk where he's not believing what God had said. And then that self-talk caused him to sin more and take another step backwards. Now, literally living in sin, a place consumed by sin because of their pagan beliefs. He's taking some steps back. Verse 3, David and his men settled in Gath. So they're not staying there temporarily. They're settling. Actually, in a few verses, it says they were there 16 months. Each man and his family. And he was right. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. So technically, his logic was right, but sinful. Verse 5, David said to Achish, the king of Gath, this pagan king who did not worship God, if I have found favor in your eyes, here's another step backwards. Why do we, the people of God, care about what people think of us? Right? Why should he care? Why should he care if he has favor in the eyes of a king who does not worship the one true God and is a pagan king? He should not care if this king has favor, has found favor in his eyes. If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? There's another step backwards. Why would David, the man anointed to be king over Israel, one of God's people, why should he make himself the servant of a pagan king who does not worship the one true God. Verse 6, so that day Achish gave him Ziklag, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in the Philistine territory. See, he didn't just hang around for a little while. He settled in sin a year and four months. Now here he takes a giant step backwards. I do not understand this. I do not know how a man after God's own heart can do what we are reading about here, but here it is. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times, these people had lived in the land extending to Shur and Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive but took sheep and cattle and donkeys and camels and clothes. Then he returned to Achish. The one anointed to be king of Israel, the one described early on as a man after God's own heart, has become a thief, a pirate, and a murderer. He murders everyone in the, in the cities where he goes because he doesn't, want the truth to get found out. It does say that these, these people groups were around from ancient times. So presumably, these were actually people groups that Joshua, as the people moved in the promised land, they should have gotten rid of. So some people have said, oh, he was just trying to fulfill what, the, what his generations past didn't do, get rid of these people groups that were supposed to be expelled from the area. Well, no, that's apparently not the motives because when God commanded Joshua and the early Israelites to do that, they weren't supposed to touch anything of these ancient peoples. Remember Achan? He stole some gold from Jericho, and he and his whole family were killed. God said, as you expel these people groups, you don't touch their stuff. Because I don't want my people and the people who hear these stories to be confused and wondering whether or not you killed these people just as an excuse to rob them. So, no, David is not trying to be obedient to what God told Joshua to do. No, he's a thief and a murderer. And it's in the Bible. Folks, as, as Christians, please, let's stop pretending that there aren't some really difficult passages in the Bible. Because the world, the non-Christians look at these, and they have issues with them. And so, for us to pretend like they're not issues, just... It hurts our witness. So let's just admit, yep, it's in there. I don't understand it. I wish David hadn't done it. And just move on. So David has taken a giant step back. 
And then he goes and he tells the king, he lies to the king. I don't know why the story is in here. Kind of sad. And then one last place, and we'll, we'll close. Unfortunately, we have to end with kind of a depressing tone today because although David took a few steps forward, he took several steps back, which sometimes is just how the Bible leaves you. Chapter 30. So what's the consequence of taking so many steps backwards, spiritual losses, when, when you do sinful self-talk where you start to believe lies, and that leads you into paths of sin where you're living in sin, and then that leads you to commit more sin and more sin and, and more sin, and you plant roots and you settle your family there. No man is an island, by the way. No woman is an island. Uh, your sin will affect people. Chapter 30, David and his men reached Ziklag. He, he, in, in 29 that I skipped over, he wants to go help the king, this pagan king, fight battles. And the pagan king's noble said, no, we don't trust David. So the king said, okay, well, David, go back home. My men don't trust you. So they went back to Ziklag, the city that they had settled for 16 months. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it. So what happens? What happens, parents, when you start taking a step backwards, not doing what God wants you to do? What happens when you bring your family with you, settling in sin? Well, your family might be taken, taken captive. We don't have the Amalekites around today, but we have the evil one. Amen? Anyone have some children who have been taken captive, captive by the evil one? Anyone have some family members who have been taken captive? There's only so much we can do. We, we are not in control as parents. We do not save our children. But let me tell you, parents, and I speak this to myself now that I am one, we do not save our children. I cannot bring Cormac to salvation, but I can certainly make some bad spiritual decisions that will make him prone to captivity. I can make some bad decisions that will make it very easy for him to become enslaved by something. Now, the inverse is not true. Just because I make good decisions doesn't mean he'll be this Christian who loves the Lord. No, no, it doesn't follow that way. But if I continue to walk down paths of sin, it will affect people. It will affect my family. It will affect my job. It will affect my friends. It will affect my children. Had David not gone to Ziklag, had he not settled there, his wife, his children, his men's wives and children would not have been taken captive. Now, praise God, they weren't, they weren't killed, <laughs> these these pagan captors acted better to their captives than David did as he was pillaging these cities. Remember, David killed every man and woman. These pagan men treat David's wives and children and their men's wives and children better than David did. So, are you going to take some steps forward or steps backwards? Will, will you be someone who shows mercy and grace when you, when you are tempted to express vengeance? Will you be someone like Abigail who steps in the way and prevents someone from sinning, even if it costs you money and time and pride? Or will you be someone who, who starts to talk to yourself rather than talking to God, who starts to talk to yourself rather than allowing a Bible to talk to you, who starts to believe lies who then, because you now believe those lies, you start to act in sinful ways. You start to go places you shouldn't go. You start to do things you shouldn't do, and then it affects your family. What will you be? What will you be? See, Scripture makes clear it's your choice. It's, it's your choice. Now, we believe as Christians that through the power of Christ, 
we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. So it is our choice because Christ enables us and gives us the power. And Christ came and said, you know what? Yeah, you need a do-over. You need a do-over, right? The, the, the example, Christ on the cross is this great example that, yeah, we make really, really, really bad choices. Sometimes we make choices so bad that they actually put the Son of God, the sinless Lamb of God on the cross. Yeah, I give you a do-over. So, so parents, for example, if you made a lot of bad choices and you now have some children or some family members in captivity to the evil one because maybe in part because of your sin through Christ, God says, hey, you get a do-over. Yeah, there's still consequences to your actions, but I forgive you. I forgive you if you, if you but seek forgiveness. God, God extends forgiveness and love to those who just seek it, who ask for it. And, and we don't, just like David, we, we don't hide the fact about our sinful mistakes. So David quickly repents. Let me close with this last verse. David and his men, their wives and their children have all been taken from them. And we find out later in the story, if you want to read it, that they're all returned home safely. God says, yeah, go after them. You'll get them. Verse Seven, no, verse 8, and David inquired of the Lord. Actually, even before that, verse 6, but David found strength in the Lord his God. And then, verse 8, he inquired of the Lord. So, have you made some bad decisions? Have you taken some steps backward? Well, just do what David did. Stop talking to yourself and talk to God. Stop finding strength and money or your own sense of security or what you're going to do, how you're going to fix it, and get your strength in the Lord. Inquire of the Lord. Seek the Lord. Ask the Lord. And God says, I forgive you. Here's a do-over. Yeah, there might be some consequences to your actions. David experienced them. But God says, here's forgiveness. I love you. I forgive you. Walk with me again. Start inquiring of me again. Find your strength in me. Don't find strength in all these other things. So if you, take, if you took some steps backwards, find strength in the Lord today. Ask forgiveness, and He'll give it. It's such a simple thing. We, we kind of overcomplicate it. We're going to close in prayer, and we'll, we'll take our offering. And, and during the offering, we'll, we'll show the same video that we've been showing for a while about why we pray together. So let me remind you, one of the ways you can prevent from these spiritual steps backwards is gathering with God's people, praying with God's people. And allowing corporate prayer to challenge you to, as the apostle said, challenge one another or spur one another on to, to good deeds. So I hope you'll join us Wednesday night because we're working to become a people of prayer here at Grace Tabernacle. People who pray, people who take spiritual steps forward and not backward, people who find strength in the Lord. You do that when you pray. You can't really get strength in the Lord without interacting with Lord, so I hope you'll join us. Let me pray for our offering, and, and we will close uh, today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story of David, where we are, Lord, we are reminded through this very imperfect man that your strength is made perfect in weakness. Father, I praise you that we do not read about some spiritual superhero when we read about David. I praise you that when we read about the life of David, we read about a man prone to sin and mistake and terrible errors of judgment, just like we make. 
I praise you that, that if David, a man who can so easily sin and, and make such silly mistakes and spiritual setbacks and steps backward, if he can be described as a man after your own heart, then so too can we. We thank you that when we read about the life of David, we read about a man who is not perfect. But we do read about a man who, when confronted with his sin and imperfection, is so quick to return to you. Father, may, may we be people like that, people who, yes, may sin, yes, may take a few steps backward in our spiritual journey. But when, when we are confronted with them, whether they are great or very small, that we would immediately repent and turn to you and praise you for the forgiveness you extend and then begin to walk that new path like David. May we, when we realize the error of our ways, may we begin to find strength in you and not in ourselves. Father, forgive us for the self-talk that, that we so bombard our own minds and hearts with, that we, we start to believe the very lies that we are proclaiming to ourselves. Forgive us for that, Father, and thank you for your forgiveness. Father, as we, as we take up our tithes and offerings today, Lord, we praise you for the opportunity to give you want us to give with cheerful hearts. So if we don't have cheerful hearts today, give us cheerful hearts to participate in your work that we are doing. Father, may what we do here at Grace Tabernacle and the, the resources we use to, to work out the plans we believe you have given us, they, may they be for your purposes, not our own, and for your glory and not our own. It's in Christ Jesus precious and holy name we pray. Amen.